1: This League Podcast Network presents
0: Prospect One, the Fantasy Prospect Podcast.
1: Prospect
0: One
2: with your host, Chris Welsh. This is the Fantasy Baseball Prospect Podcast, Prospect One. I'm your host, Chris Welsh. You can find me on Twitter at IsitTheWelsh. Same thing on the Instagram if you want to go there. And at inthisleague.com. It is a brand new year. Happy New Year. Glad to have you all here. And hopefully you come and check us out over at inthisleague.com on the Patreon because when you do so, you can get access to my top 500, my top 400 Dynasty, top 500 prospects, by the way, the Dynasty list, redrafts, first year player, going to be pretty important, and a ton more. We got a really great community over on the In This League Patreon with our group me rooms, which you can get access to as well. And there's a bunch more. I would love to have you guys there and I appreciate it because that is the 100% support system for Prospect One. So when you come and sign up, are directly supporting the podcast so i appreciate that and we'll have some new updates coming up here within the next week or so in uh, our january update and i will start through the process i'm going through all of my rank process here it was a crazy end of the year but it's a great time to reset and get locked into 2023 and today on the episode i've got two guests in our final of the prospect 180p series where you could be like why are we doing a series about it really i just wanted to get someone who talked from every single league that we did and we did five of them so today i've got michael richards from triple play on followed by matt eddie from baseball america both are going to come on actually both had some similar picks which is interesting and uh, the matt eddie conversation is cool too because we actually took a look back at a few of his other drafts and his success rate and it's pretty good it's a pretty good success rate so i got both of these fine gentlemen joining me here as we're going to be talking about leagues three and two And that will kind of finish all of that out. And of course, you can also find that ADP over at InThisLeague.com. That's part of my big sheet that I've gotten. And we've also got the prior years if you want to take a look at the overall ADP. I don't think I have all the names listed necessarily of who drafted who, but we definitely have the overall ADP of all of them. And this January update, I will be putting on the names of who drafted everybody for the most recent, the 2023 version, if you're wondering. So that's how we're going to get down with this bad boy and just finish this off and then walk into the new year with all new conversations about the bold predictions of prospects. We got to talk about J-15, if you are not aware, not paying attention. As we are posting this episode, we're about 12 days out from the international signing period becoming official, and all those guys are like officially signed. You know, this is that thing we've talked about in prior years where, you know, baseball tries to police itself. But then also, like, these guys have been signed for a year or two years or something like that. Part of why the international draft is put out there. But, you know, these guys get big money, but they're committed for such a long time. And I I think it's a joke. I've always thought it was a joke. This idea that, like, you know, the guys can't officially sign, but they have signed. They're literally working out in their gear and they've been tied to and then all the baseball writers have to use silly little language like, you know, oh, Felden Celestine is uh, tied to the Seattle Mariners or Ethan Salas is connected. With, I mean, it's like it's like going back to like the Wojnowski NBA draft stuff where it's like, well, they don't want to say even though what they're implying is they're drafted. This is that silly stuff too with J-15. It actually really annoys me that it's like if, if you're going to allow this preset thing to happen, you know, these handshake deals behind the scenes and stuff to go on and they're going to lock in then just, you know, make it official. I don't know. Maybe it's similar to, I mean, it is similar to like high school kids committing to a college, except you don't really, you rarely, I can't think of many situations. You rarely have it where these guys are committed, you know, quote committed to these teams for two years and then international signing period comes in and someone else swoops up and gets them it's not often you know it's like no on the 15th ethan salas is going to have a padres hat and felon celestine is going to have a mariners hat and that's what it's going to be and it's been like that for a long time and these guys just wearing you know I, i made a whole big deal about it like a year or two ago when it was the you know christian hernandez had been like literally training in cubs gear and putting instagram photos out but you know he wasn't like officially signed or anything so It's a silly thing maybe to be annoyed about. It's a silly thing that they do. But uh, either way, it's all but set in the international class. Uh, Many will just dance around it. But these guys are locked into their teams. And in about 12 days, you're going to have destinations and homes and new prospects on them uh, and new prospects on some of your favorite teams. They'll also be joining the first year player draft. And that's what's always very interesting is where do these guys line up? And I think we're all a little gun shy, so I'm hoping to have a conversation about that over the next uh, either next episode or next two, or you know, right after the international signing period we'll talk about the J15 class because that's on our mind. But today, let's get to our conversation about these P1 ADPs. And I want to give a shout out, if you guys don't already know this, I call him the admin because he admins the P1 ADP drafts. But Jesse Severe, we want to give a shout out to Jesse Severe, who kind of maintains all of this and has helped me with this for years. But Jesse is also a very accomplished Dynasty player that you should be listening to. And not only does he do great work helping with the P1 ADPs, but he does great work on his podcast that you should check out because, you know, it's about dynasty dynasty sports life is the podcast with jesse severe it's a itl network pod and you should go and check it out it'll be a great compliment to a lot of the things we've talked about you know when we're talking about prospects now it is a three sport pod so if you're into that that's going to be even better so here one episode might be about football One might be about basketball. Maybe it's four-sport. Hockey, I think. I'm jumping the gun there. But Jesse's got some great episodes. Did one with Nate Handy, who you've heard on the podcast before, talking about the B-side prospects recently. And a brand-new episode just dropped the other day. So go and support him. Check it out. Dynasty Sports Life. Probably a solid compliment to the stuff you do here. And shout out to all of his help with the p 180 ps Let's get into the episode. Michael Richards is going to be joining again. These guys, Michael Richards and Matt Eddy, both leagues two and three. I think, mm, I think Michael was in three and Matt Eddy was in two. There's some similar picks that I thought were interesting. Both guys are going to break down. We're going to do the usual thing and we're going to finish this bad boy up. So here first up is Michael Richards from Triple Play Podcast joining me right here on Prospect
1: One. in that case, I pronounce you lucky.
2: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions
0: apply. See website for details.
1: Say, I like you. I like you so much, I'm going to make you my partner. All you have to do is find the gold, and I'll share it with you 50-50.
2: Prospect 1. He is Michael Richards. You can find him on Twitter at MP Richards1981. I completely forgot about this too. And I saw this on your uh, Twitter profile. I forgot you were the 2022 TGFBI overall champion. No big deal or anything. Also, you can hear him on the call up. You can see some stuff over on Fantrax. Michael, what's up, buddy?
1: Not too much. Always happy to be here and talk with you. You know, I, I love the podcast. Been a big supporter of you over the years. And it's a pleasure to be here. Love talking prospects, especially with people like yourself who are. You know, tuned in with everything and, and love it as much as myself.
2: Well, I really appreciate that, man. Also, by the way, that TGFBI thing that that had to be pretty awesome for you because that is not an easy thing. That is not a uh, easy egg to crack in those huge, giant tournament type of stuff. I forgot I saw you doing that at the back end of the year. I was not at the top, unfortunately. So, uh, congratulations on that win and that attempt to uh, that attempt to kind of repeat. We we're also talking off air about the setup for what's coming for this year. And, you know, you've got some plans for some of the big league stuff, uh, some of the big uh, high dollar cash stuff, and then also continuing all of your prospect things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you mentioning that, you know, I did put a lot of effort into that. Uh, You know, this was my second year playing that. So the, the first time was kind of a learning experience. I was used to winning my home leagues and everything. So it was an eye opening experience going up against people. My usual strategy of how I played fantasy didn't win. It didn't work, so I had to reteach myself how to play. And yeah, I I pretty much put my heart and soul into that this this last year. And um, yeah, and just had kind of an angel investor reach out to me and and kind of offer to help buy me into the main event. You know, that wasn't something I expected. I was just going to kind of move it one step at a time. But it's the same format, you know, a lot a lot more at stake. But I'm I'm really excited about it, and and I and I have confidence. You know, I, I believe that I can do well.
2: That's awesome, man. That is really awesome, and not just in those uh, big high dollar stuff, but prospects and that stuff is your game. You took part in the P one eighty ps. You were in League Three, which I appreciate you doing. And I mean, all of them are kind of like heavy hitter. You don't ever, I really can't even like make a hey, this league, blah blah blah. But you had Eddie Almangare, You had Scott White. Uh, we had Chris Ble- Blessing got sick. I actually filled in for Chris Blessing on there, and I was drafting in it. But you know, you had Scott White. You had Eddie. Which is just a rough go. It can be an overall rough go. Uh, this was League Three, and we're going to be breaking down your picks in this bad boy. Now, um, as I told you off, oh, actually, no, I think I can. No, I can't actually see this. What pick did you have in League Three? I was the fifth pick. Okay, that's what I thought because based on your your first overall pick, this kind of makes sense. So we're going to go through. We're going to talk about some of your players. Get your breakdown on these guys. And luckily, as always, we've got some new players we're going to talk about. And at spot five. You had ended up with Jordan Walker, which I feel like that's a very locked in solid spot that you're going to get Jordan Walker. Obviously, coming off of what is a pretty successful AFL where he had made the full transition to the outfield. He played some center field, 19 homers, 22 stolen bases as a huge six foot five, 220 pound player. I mean, he is a physical presence hitting over 300. With those big stolen bases, it's a cheap comp that I've thrown out. But, you know, you there's a foreseeable vision where you could see Jordan Walker having some imitation of Julio Rodriguez this year. Now, I don't want it to be one for one because I think it's cheap and then people lose their minds and stuff. But, you know, they're both big physical players. Um, they both show off speed that you don't expect. Jordan Walker did pretty much everything. He struggled a little bit in the beginning of the AFL with some contact issues. He really kind of reassert, uh, reasserted himself. He covers the zone in a really great way. He's got really great vision. I mean, this is like kind of an all-around great player with huge plus power and stolen bases this past year. So give me your thoughts on Jordan Walker and getting him at five. Was this like, you know, it was like the the three little pigs or whatever, The like this was just right, this was wrong, or, you know, it needed to be a little bit higher.
1: Well, you said a lot of great things there. I was actually going to be a little controversial and, and mention Julio Rodriguez when it came to Jordan Walker. This is a very similar situation, you know, the hit tool and the power, every, the same, you know, domination at AA as a 20-year-old and in, in basically the underrated speed. People weren't thinking Julio Rodriguez is going to steal a bunch of bases this last year, and he did. I think Walker has that. He's going to steal some bases early in his career, especially. Just overall, I was thinking I wasn't going to get him. You know, I know there's that group after Carroll and H- Henderson, and people rank him differently, but I personally have Walker number three overall and it's because of the full season of success at double a, you know, I know Ellie De La Cruz also did well, but he has the strikeout concerns and then Churio's younger. He just barely got up there. Lawler barely got up there. So Walker's my number three guy. I didn't expect to get him. I thought I would probably end up with Ellie De La Cruz, but everything you said there is true. I think he's like a cornerstone type of player for the Cardinals. I think he'll work his way there in fantasy. And, you know, eventually I see him being like an early round pick, you know, one of the top guys at his position. So I'm thrilled to get him in in the smock at five. Yeah. Jordan Walker ended up having an ADP overall of three. And funny enough,
2: in the five drafts, he went three, three times and five, two times. And the two times he went five were to you. And Matt Eddy from Baseball America, all the irony in there. So that was kind of the, the path and the story of Jordan Walker. And I, I know I think uh, people are having a hard time with it in general. I feel even though that the mid-pack of the top 10, I don't know, if I, it might be recency. I'll, I'll acknowledge that. But like, it feels as strong as it's ever been. Like, I think the top, I love Corbin Carroll. I love Gunnar Henderson. I've said this a million times they lack, I think, some of the star power and maybe even the believability for some people from previous years of, you know, just go down the list of the number one overall players from, you know, Wanda Franco's star power to Ronald Acuna Vlad, blah, blah, blah. You do all that stuff. And they they kind of lack that. But, you know, maybe the future's going to tell us something different, you know, because we've had that in previous years where it was like Jason Dominguez was in there and Andrew Vaughn, maybe will be told different. But I look at that mid-pack and I go, man, I think this is as strong as it could ever be to have like a, if you're doing a redraft, you know, if you're doing a new dynasty draft and you're doing prospects, if you have like a top eight pick, top seven pick, you're going to get a phenomenal, almost star like player. It's just, I don't feel that there's a hundred percent consistency, even though the ADP, my ADP spit out Jordan Walker at three between Churio and De La Cruz. And I throw Volpe in there and a couple other players, I just don't feel like anyone f- knows there's a certainty. And Jordan Lawler kind of belongs on that list, Michael. I mean, do you think there's any separation with Jordan Lawler from, let's say, Ellie De La Cruz, or do you think it's kind of a big clump?
1: Well, that's a tough question. I mean, I think you can make cases for all of them. I mean, I personally, it's, it's really tough because Ellie De La Cruz did go through and had production in AA more so than Lawler. He's a little bit older. Both of them have good speed. You know, it's it's basically just, like, kind of what you want, what type of player you want. Um, you know, I could I could justify putting Lawler over Ellie De La Cruz just based on the K percentage, you know, if someone wants to avoid that risk. But De La Cruz has as much power speed more than Lawler. So it's a toss-up. You know, I th- that's why it's so tough. And you didn't mention, I know you're a big fan of Miguel Vargas and other guys like Kyle Manzardo, Drew Jones, like James Wood. Those are the type of guys that we normally see near the top, like players who have those huge, you know, power, speed and stuff. So it's going to be an interesting over the next year to see like who kind of separates themselves. Cause it is a big group and you can make cases for a lot of them. And I do think that one or two of them will separate themselves.
2: Yeah. You know, it's interesting too, is on that, t- in like looking at the top 10 on the ADP, they ended up averaging out in like these little tiers. So it was like, you know, Corbin and Gunner, at the top, their own tier. Walker and Lawler, I think, represent the proximity with the insane talent. And then, and those were three and four. And then you had Churio de la Cruz, and I'll throw Volpe in there as players that are a little bit further away. Volpe might be closer to Lawler than like Churio, but then there's like a little bit more question marks in those tiers. So five is a great spot where you really could have got with anything. I'll, I'll tell you, I really do think like pick six it might be one of the best spots. Uh, simply because you're going to get the fall of whichever player. You know, if there's a Churio guy in there and a De La Cruz guy, you might get Jordan Lawler or you might get Jordan Walker. So six or seven is a really interesting spot. You got it five. Now, coming back, I feel like we haven't talked about this guy enough because we've been talking about the counter to why he's not going as the number one or number two overall starting pitcher in the minor leagues right now, and it's Yuri Perez. And we talked about how a couple of episodes ago where, you know, People are people are dead set that Yuri Perez is the de facto number two pitcher in the minor leagues right now, and I don't think people are realizing like that. There's there's still these tiers and there's getting these gaps and whatnot. But uh, talk to me about the Yuri Perez pick in the second round. Were there any other decisions that you were looking for, or was this exactly who you were targeting and why?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, Yuri Perez was was my target. You know, I you know I've heard a lot you and other people talk about that top four tier of pitchers and. I'm I'm a big believer in like top end arms, you know, especially in drafting and stuff. So I just kind of wanted to use that same approach here. And if a pitcher fell to me, like I would have taken Tiedem in there or Painter or Yuri Perez or anyone, any of those four. So I was happy I got the fourth there on my own personal list. I would probably, you know, I think people are making a strong case now for Painter over Grayson and I can get on board with that. Um, You know, I probably still have Grayson ahead of him, but I would have it Grayson Painter and then Yuri Perez three, you know, there's some people out there that are even higher on Perez than I am. I just think he's a really good pitcher. You know, I think people probably overreacted a little bit to how, how well he did that first year. And we might be seeing similar things right now with painter. Um, But overall, you know, outside of the organization, I'm not a big believer in what the Marlins have going on right now, at least as far as winning baseball games. But as far as like, you know, like I heard you mention, you know, he's working with Sandy Alcantara and stuff like that. Like everything, as far as a pitching prospect and age versus level and stats and scouting grades, I'm on board with this kid. And, you know, I wouldn't have a problem with someone wanting to take him over Painter or Grayson. I personally wouldn't do it, but there's a case for it. We were having this interesting discussion
2: over on the Endless League Fantasy Baseball podcast. Uh, Scott Bogman and I just did a dynasty mock draft. We just did a big old dynasty mock that people can go check out and listen to. It was like 28 rounds, 14 teams, just lots of players. Just around 400 players went. And obviously we were discussing the, you know, the what different strategies you can do. But the other thing is the investment in starting pitching in Dynasty is always finicky. You know, people will, a common strategy, if you're maybe rebuilding or even starting, if you were to be a person that started off a draft being like, I'm going to just snag young guys and I'm going to get all these good young hitters. The, the common strategy on both sides for most people is like, hey, pitching is, comes last. You can build and trade for pitching last. I push back on that a lot with people because I think pitching is harder to acquire than it's ever been before, unless you can really pinpoint the guys that are going to take the next big jumps. So I turn it back to the same thing with prospects. I usually don't have a heavy investment in pitchers in general, like at most, you're going to see a 25% ratio in like, whatever, how many rounds you give me, I'll probably be around 25%. I'm absolutely game for taking the elite top pitchers. And I'll do that from time to time. But you know, you said you kind of said at the top, like, you know, you were targeting all those pitchers. Is it important in these type of formats and any type of dynasty prospect format of drafting that you need and want, high pitching, even though it's probably a little bit more
1: volatile than hitting? I wouldn't say it's important necessarily. I think this is more just about this this particular situation, me having that pretty strong belief on that top four. And really, this was just like a draft strategy. This is like something I would have done in a redraft league. It's a tier of players in my eyes. So that's just why I settled on him. It wasn't anything particular about him. It was more the draft strategy. And, and, And I agree with you. I just think top arms have a lot of value. I've tried to trade for them. Once people are in on them, you know, they, people value them. They don't want to give them up, you know? So it's like, people can say to avoid them, but like when you have a really good pitcher that people really like, it's a valued piece in, even in dynasty.
2: Yeah. And it's tough. Yuri Perez, by the way, and I think this is a little bit of an effect. Uh, this is a Welsh effect for doing these that Ricky Tiedemann is one spot higher than Yuri Perez in these drafts. They were, they, they almost mirror each other though. Two drafts, they both went outside the top 20. um, And then the other three, they all went inside the teens. If you're looking at it, uh, for Yuri Perez, it was three industry guys that did take Yuri. You, Drew Wheeler, and Matt Thompson, leagues three, four, and five were the ones that took uh, Yuri Perez. As far as Ricky Tiedemann goes, we did not have any industry guys take Ricky Tiedemann. So that might also be telling for a lot of people that You know, again, people that might follow me might kind of be in on the Ricky Tiedemann stuff. A lot of people have agreed with me on the Tiedemann, but no one will put him above Yuri Perez like I have it, which is totally okay. But I think there might be a little bit of that that people are seeing in there if you care, if anybody cares and they want to know about that. All right. uh, So let's move on to Royce Lewis. Uh, your two your three four was Royce Lewis and Indy Rodriguez absolutely feel free to throw anything out on Indy we have talked about him but any other additions please do but you jumped in on Royce Lewis who's going to miss some significant time this year he's going to be back I think into full baseball activities around July is probably what you're going to see and you'll see him probably throw right back onto the roster things had really changed and moved but he has been plagued by injuries so you know He still has high ranks. He still has high valuations. I think there's a little bit of prospect fatigue that's out there. Also, the twins are not doing a good job of developing the high-end prospects. Uh, Miranda is there, but Miranda, even compared to what he did in the minors, I think some people are still sleeping on him. Alex Kirilov obviously, with everything that's going on with him. So talk to me about Royce Lewis in that third pick and then any uh, additions to Indy.
1: So I've kind of always been a big believer in Royce Lewis, You know, even going back to when he was drafted number one overall. And I know the injuries have been a concern multiple times now. But last year, before he was injured, he was really one of the best players up in in AAA. And and he was still young for the level and everything. Really low strikeout rate. He was showing the speed. He just has a very fantasy-friendly skill set. I think he's gonna have a good batting average. So to me, this isn't even about the talent of a player. There's a lot of risk when you're evaluating prospects, like if they'll even be good enough to make it. To me, this is a no-doubter major leaguer who's gonna be an everyday player for the twins, hitting near the top of the lineup. It's simply just him staying healthy. You know, I do like him long term more than players like Oswald Peraza and some others. So, you know, I, I do see him more as like a proximity play. He's like a fallback option for me if I can't get someone like Miguel Vargas or something up close. And I do understand like I'm probably a little bit higher on Royce Lewis than some people. I took him in the first round of the Toolshed mock. But this is a guy I'm just trying to look at his overall skill set and translate it to the redraft world. And I think if he's healthy, he's going to be viewed as a top 100 pick in the not-too-distant future. You know, and, and that to me is just something you, you could grab at the th- in the third round of a prospect draft all day and be happy with it.
2: Uh, you were the you're actually tied for the high man on Michael Richards, but that was with the itch and uh, you and uh, Matt Eddy again, by the way, both took uh, him as well. You and Matt got him at the cheapest cost. So I don't know if uh, you know. You and Matt are not here in the same room together. So I don't know if you're different people at this point. But you both got him. Um, yeah, no, I said you got him at the cheapest. You Actually, you and Matt got him at the best value. It was the itch and one of our listeners that spent the highest cost on him. So he had two teens cost and then you guys got him at 29. So for Royce Lewis,
1: uh, any other thoughts on Indy? Yeah, I mean, I anyone who's followed the podcast for, with you, you know, I just heard a couple of weeks ago or last early this month, uh, Chris Clegg. I mean, he broke it down. I can't really say much more than he said. there. great hit tool, you know, pro- maybe even double plus hit tool. I, I believe in the power. I don't think there's going to be a ton of speed, but the positional flexibility. I don't think he's going to be locked in to catcher, but I think he'll carry that eligibility in fantasy. And as someone who's ex- just went through this experience with someone like Dalton Varsho. And I I know he doesn't have the speed of him, but like in MJ Melendez, for example, he doesn't have the same sort of power, but that has a lot of value in fantasy leagues catchers who play more often and are above average hitters. So, I mean, Andy Rodriguez, I don't really trust the organization, but I'm very high on this kid. And, you know, I I don't think he gets enough love. I mean, Chris Clegg is starting to push it a lot, but I mean, this is essentially like the Kyle Manzardo similar type of situation just for a catcher. You know, kind of, I don't think he has this, I'm not saying he's the same sort of player, but the same sort of profile, the same sort of thing was was happening last year, same sort of age, same sort of level. And I just think Andy Rodriguez is going to be a good player that people are going to want on their teams down the road.
2: Uh, Also interesting, if people are paying attention to it, especially people that just like to peek around, it'll be funny to see the adjustments as uh, MLB Pipeline has Indy as their sixth prospect in their system. Um, which I think will probably adjust. And Royce Lewis is not the number one in the twins. He's actually Brooks Lee is valued uh, according to Pipeline over um over Royce Lewis, which I think is a little bit odd. But you know, everybody I've ever spoken to about Royce Lewis, I felt like he's always kind of like brought the capped him down a little bit and I I had, you know, interesting comps kind of all across the board when I was bringing up Royce Lewis and trying to really talk him up. But everybody didn't feel I don't think everyone felt there was a home and really understood the high leg kick led to some weird batting average stuff. He kind of fixed that. He can play everywhere. He's he's an all around player. And, you know, there's a little bit of that in Indy Rodriguez as far as like he's a guy that can kind of play across the board. It'll just be about finding his home, finding his forever home. So someone please adopt Indy Rodriguez. Uh, your next couple picks here. This felt like maybe like a proximity play, but you took Estory Ruiz in the fifth round. I'm going to look here in a second. I'm going to guess that's the highest. And then Bo Naylor, who I'm also going to guess is most likely the highest. As I'm looking you know what? I'm wrong. You, your Estory was not the highest. He actually went 45 in the league. You were number two, and uh, only one other industry guy was with you. That was Dylan White, who took uh, Estory Ruiz. So, it, was this a big proximity play? Is this the elite stolen bases? Do you still be, do you believe in the hit tool going to Oakland? I mean, what's up with Astoria Reeves with you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've kind of been pounding the table on Asturio Reeves you, even during the breakout during the season. You know, I know his hard hit data doesn't look great, you know, but I'm not looking at this from just like an overall prospect perspective. This is a fantasy decision. You know, Fangraphs has him as the third leading stolen base guy in the major leagues this year. You know, and that has a lot of value in a prospect draft. You know, I don't think he's going to get into a ton of power, and I think his numbers were are, are not really real. You know, the ballpark factor and everything last year, but a guy capable of stealing eighty-five bases with a good slot, a three, four, five slash line. You know, his. I was in on him when he was with Milwaukee in that crowded situation because of the fantasy skill set, because the rarity of how much speed you can get, and. Going to Oakland, it's obviously a terrible lineup, a terrible park, but I don't think there's anyone that's going to stop him from playing. And with a player like him, that's what it is. It's simply just getting the plate appearances to get on base and steal bases. You know, I had Bubba Thompson last year. You know, I saw the effect John Birdie had for people in certain times, and I just think that's the floor for Esther Ruiz if he's playing. And, but he's shown more ability to hit than these other, you know, just empty speed type of guys. So I'm, I'm actually pretty high on him. He's a prime target for me in roto leagues, you know, even, even in redraft at the right price. You know what I like too, what you said there? I like that you said it was a fantasy
2: decision. I hope people like took that in because I think that's a really good point. You know, we go through, a million different things when we're, you know, it's evaluating or you take this guy because this guy said it or you've watched video and you love this guy and he's got this potential. But this is also like these are fantasy decisions. And that's like that's not a bad breakdown of like yeah, this is also a crazy world for me, by the way. This is my world coming at a clash, you know, from my 2017 days of being the one that was touting Asturie Ruiz to the moon. And then, you know, we just kind of let it go because he kind of became nothing and then he's back. And now we're looking at his tree Ruiz going in the top fifty of prospect drafts. Like it's crazy world for me. But sometimes things are fantasy decisions. And this is one of those where it's like, you know, I think his hit tool's always been in question. I've always loved his power. He was a huge doubles power guy when he was here in the AFL uh, the ACL. It was a AZL at that time. And uh, there's always been potential power. There were these cheap kind of Alfonso Soriano comps that are out there. What ended up happening was his swing just got big and his pitch recognition just wasn't there. So he wasn't able to make great, great, consistent contact. He made some adjustments this past year, maybe some better environments and can steal bases like nobody else. So I think there's still big questions on the hit tool, but this is a fantasy decision. It's it's a great way to put it. Bo Naylor, you also did not get at the highest cost. So you were just kind of at the forefront of what was going to happen here. Somebody did take him a tiny bit higher. You took him at 68 He went 61 in one of the drafts and you and Eric Cross were the two that invested, but Cross got the best value of any of him on anybody at 108. So what was with the push of Bo Naylor moving up so high? He went, he had an ADP in August, by the way, of around 94. His ADP is now pushed up to the 80. So this is one of those guys that has made kind of a positive transition up ranks, but you took him quite a bit higher than, his natural uh it's quite a bit higher. It's not that much higher, but you know, you took him like a, at least around higher than what the natural ADP ends up looking like. So what do you like about Bo Naylor right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, similar things I was talking about with Andy Rodriguez, you know, just going through the experience with catchers, you know, and this guy actually does have the speed. I believe there's gonna be double digit speed here. Um it's like, it's kind of a combination of everything I've been talking about, the proximity, the fantasy. You know, Bo Naylor, as your second catcher is, is going to be a good thing in fantasy leagues. So, you know, I, I didn't really have a real great gauge on where I needed to take him. You know, this was only my second draft and the first one with tool shed, you know, drew Wheeler was in there taking catchers early. So like, I just knew that people were valuing catchers in these drafts and some other catchers had already gone ahead of, of this spot. And I liked that. I like Naylor more than them. So I, I basically just pulled the trigger there and, and this was one that I struggled with because, you know, I was trying to stick with proximity mostly like that was the foundation of what I was doing. But um, this is the spot where I could have taken Jackson Merrill and I, I was, I guess I was just kind of behind, mm. behind on the hype with people. And, and I even was sitting there looking at, I was looking at Bo Naylor, Jackson Merrill and I, and I struggled with it. I probably used up two hours of the clock, ended up going with Naylor. I think that's a pick I would change, especially now the stuff I'm hearing about Merrill. But um, overall, I like him. I, I think once he's in Cleveland's lineup, I think he's going to be a... I, I just think he's a guy who's going to be a special, not special, but a, a unique talent at the position that people will end up valuing even more so than I drafted him in this league right now.
2: Uh, your seventh pick and ninth pick were both of the international signings. Senga and Masataka Yoshida, Yoshida you took with the seventh and the ninth round pick we ended up seeing Senga. I believe we talked about this on the CBS show. I think Senga ended up being the sixth or seventh, as far as I like, quote first year players, it's always in discussion, you know, should those players be in there, but plenty of people are going to be making the decision in their first year player drafts between, you know, the big high school guys, uh, Senga will be in there and you might even have some of the J 15 players. So, um, I'm not the biggest Yoshida guy, but, you know, it is what it is. It might also be a fantasy decision, but you also took uh, Senga. So do you uh, you want to elaborate on Senga a bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I didn't know a ton about these guys before we started the draft. You know, obviously, we had that little event where you picked Senga in the tool shed mock. So I kind of <laughs> I started broke, looking I days. broke,
2: uh, I, whose heart did I break? I'm forgetting whose heart. That Jesse I broke, Roche.
1: I was so mean to Jesse. Yeah, uh,
2: Jesse was just on. We should have talked about that. I was so mean when I did that.
1: Yeah, so uh, Senga, you know, I basically started looking into that situation and just started evaluating the entire situation because I'm going to keep mentioning this, but a lot of how I'm drafting now is based on fantasy, you know, because that's what we're playing here. That's what this is for. I'm not trying to do a crystal ball and predict who might become good, really good. I'm trying to put together a team and from a drafting perspective, you know, a, a major league ready arm that's 29 that has some potential. I don't think he's an ace or anything, but. I think he could help uh, redraft teams next year. I just thought that was too good of a value. People who value the proximity should take him higher than I got him. In my opinion, you got him
2: the lowest by the way of any draft, you got him the absolute lowest where he did have a top 40 uh, pick in two drafts. He had another inside the top 50 and then you were 77 and he had one in the sixty. So, I mean, he had a variance between in the twenties to the seventies and people don't really understand where to go. And I think I took him in like the fourth or fifth round of that 14 or whatever, how many people it was when we did the prospect one. So you're right. Like proximity should put a value and, and the same thing I'm guessing with Yoshida. I, I just don't, and I, I just don't know where the impactful power is going to go. What stolen bases are there? Uh, I mean, the, also there was this stuff about like he looks like a quintessential leadoff hitter, but he was even kind of like, "Yeah, I've never done that before, and don't know if I want to do it." Like very passive. I just don't know if I'm going to be big on Yoshida, but I get the proximity, and it really wasn't. A, it was a solid value at that point.
1: Yeah, I agree with you on Yoshida. There, I don't have too much to add with him. Um, I, you know, it's basically simply. A, I understand the value of being able to stick a prospect in your lineup that's a leadoff hitter like that that has more value than people think
2: your eighth round pick you took chase de your 10th round pick you took junior caminero and your 11th round pick you took uh josue de la paula and those are three players that we have had conversations with i believe all three of those jeff pons took i'd have to go back and look but we talked about all of those players is there one that you'd like to highlight of those three i mean de you took a little bit higher Kaminaro has gotten a lot of push and Dapala is almost out of every other person's mouth is like, Hey, this is going to be the next big rocket shot guy this year. So um, this coming year. So is there one of those guys you want to highlight?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I do like all of them. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll stick with DeLauder just because, you know, I just recently was looking, digging deep into the first year player draft stuff. And when I looked at all the college bats, I didn't see a more well-rounded guy as far as this scouting grades and size and everything. And, you know, I've said this before, but I don't, I don't think people are valuing him properly in first-year player drafts or overall. Um, You know, there's a lot of college bats that I hear people saying that they're going to take ahead of this guy. And I just disagree with that. I could turn out to be wrong, but, you know, we see this all the time. You know, we value players a certain way coming out of the draft. And then a year later, once we see the pro data, it changes. So I'm just going to go with a guy who has above average hit tool, above average speed, and plus power, who's a college bat, and you just don't have that combination of things going on. So I like him. I think he's going to be a top 100 prospect and probably even a top 50 if he does well next year.
2: Uh, your 12, 13, 40. Yeah, your 12 and 13 were Colt Keith and Samuel Zavala, both also getting a lot of nice push. Colt Keith, uh, I got. I've actually seen both of these guys. Zavala in the a, in the ACL this year, and Colt Keith a decent amount uh, during the AFL. And obviously, his. I think I got his last at bat in the last game of the season. He hit that homer, which was nice. You know, Colt Keith has got a solid bat. He's a little bit questionable at third. Makes some good contact. Missed a lot of time last year. He didn't shine shine like we thought maybe he could have in the AFL, but he played really well. And is positioning himself in. And Samuel Zavala is a you know definitely a solid bat that has put up some decent minor league numbers, who's ready to break out. Um, you know, good bat path, good decision making he makes at an early age. One of these guys or both if you got little nuggets on him.
1: Yeah, I mean, Colt Keith, he doesn't have the speed that people covet in fantasy, but you know, had he not gotten injured last year, he was really up there. Like his WRC plus was really oppressive compared to other players his age. And I think if we would see in a full season of him. People would be a little bit higher on him. I personally have him as the Tigers top prospect right now, even without the speed, just because I believe in the bat that much. Um, and so Zavala, really quickly, he he actually played some in A-ball as a 17-year-old. And I just don't think that gets talked about enough. You know, the age versus level stuff is important. And just even being up there, getting up there and not being completely overmatched. I think he had like a 118 WRC plus as a 17-year-old essentially in, in low A. And You know, he was a guy who, you know, FanGraphs had put a a 60 grade hit tool on him. You know, his, his power, he, his strikeouts went up a little bit in the complex league and his speed went down a little bit, but I just think he's, uh, it's hard to, it's hard for me to put this into words, but I I think he's going to be a big riser in the future, even without the big speed. I just think it's going to become a point where he's going to be like a teenager, essentially in, in the upper levels and people will have to acknowledge it. On Colt Keith, who would you rather have Colt Keith or Spencer Torkelson?
2: Who doesn't qualify a prospect anymore.
1: That's well. tough. It's been a while since I've uh, pieced them, the minor leaguers with the major leaguers together. Right now, I'd still lean Torkelson. Okay. I, I I always see that question pop up for people where they're like,
2: you know, if he was still a minor league, what would you do? And so just curious where you were. The final two, uh, Carlos Jorge and Everson Pereira. Uh, I'm very interested because I we I feel like I've seen a lot of uptick in Carlos Jorge questions. People are kind of like, why is he pushing up? Smaller framed body, bigger swing, uh, easily can push power. I mean, he's he's got pretty easy power so far, but there's some, you know, open swing and miss stuff in his game. And Pereira puts up some big hard hit numbers. Two years ago, had some like crazy hard hit numbers, and then it kind of faltered this past year. But uh, any last thoughts on your final two picks of the P-180Ps?
1: Yeah, I mean, Jorge's kind of been one of my favorites for a little while, you know, just because looking at the skill set, you know, he's got the plus hit tool with plus speed and his power is underrated. He has over 200 ISO at both levels. Fangraphs has it for 35 grade power. I just completely disagree with that. So if he's got some legitimate power in there, we're talking about a well-run guy in an organization that's hitter friendly environment at middle infield. He's just one of the better stolen base threats down in the lower levels right now, who also has those other things going for him. So I I do think he's a nice little target and, you know, another little comment, you know, Eric cross is a big, big on him and he's an influential person. So if you're one of the people who plays the stock market game with people, even if you don't necessarily believe in Jorge as a top hundred prospect, he's going to be ranked there on some influential lists. So you can use that to your advantage. And, um, uh, and he took him as well. You and
2: you and Cross were the two that took him. Fun fact is um, Jorge did go in every single draft. That's not necessarily the case. When you look at the top 280 P at the end of the day, like not every guy, especially when you get into like the 150 range is where things start to open up. You might have like one guy that didn't go in a league. Like I'm looking like Dylan Lesko actually didn't go in two of the leagues. But he went, you know, decent in the other three, which registers him. So you start kind of getting those guys that start not to uh, appear. And I want to say the first time that happens is actually pick 133. Uh, Christian Hernandez did not go in one of the leagues, but he went 91 in one of them. So, you know, all over the board. But Jorge went in all five leagues, which I think is telling. And uh, you and Cross were the two that took him. You got the best value of him uh, of any of those five drafts as well. And then Pereira, do you have anything on Everson?
1: Uh, Pereira, well, sorry, uh, Pereira, I mean, he, that was just a a decision, you know, I kind of, I've done this three times now with you and I've used that spot to take a really high upside guy that I think is going to jump up, you know, Gabriel Gonzalez the first time and Miguel Blyce last time. And I was looking at Jason Churio for the spot, but I just thought it was a little too early and Pereira, I think he has some hit tool concerns, but I I, I legitimately believe in his power and I, I think he has underrated speed. And I think there's still room for improvement. He's relatively young too. I think there's just some fantasy-friendly skill set here. Maybe not like top of the top end, but I think this is a guy that people like. And I noticed a lot of industry people during these drafts were kind of targeting him. I noticed Dylan White and I forget who else. Scott Green was another one. Well, I can tell you,
2: he went in uh, only four of the five drafts, but... All four drafts that he did go in were all industry: Dylan White, Scott Green, yourself, and Frank Stamfoll. So he only went to industry people. Just league two, he did not get drafted. So to your point, uh, that sits in there. I think you got some really good sneaky value at the end. Were you happy overall? Um, you you kind of already told us like one decision making that you would have changed. I guess how I can ask it is: what was your favorite and least favorite pick of your uh, of your fifteen?
1: Least favorite, I guess. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with DePaula. Be- not because of the talent, but just because he's so far away still, there's still a lot of risk involved in it and the draft strategy of it. I, d- I think I could have waited on him. He was someone I wanted to get and I kind of targeted him there because that's where Jeff Ponce t- took him in the tool shed mock. So I thought that was kind of how he was valued by smart people. But in this draft, you know, we're playing with 12 people. They're not all industry players. So I think I could have waited a round or two on him. My favorite pick, I'm just going to stick with I'm going to stick with Estorio Ruiz because I think his speed is underrated. I think people are too hard on him overall, and I think he's going to impact fantasy leagues this year, and I think he's worth more than where I got him. Very, very good, my friend. Uh, Plug what you got going
2: down. Uh, You got the triple play, the call up. Uh, What else you got going on?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, writing is hasn't started up again, but I'm I'm going to be writing four fan tracks in the season, probably do prospects leading up to the drafts, and then kind of shift over to redraft stuff. And I do a show with David Mendelson and Vinny, aka Down on the Farm, called the Call Up. We do that every week during the season. It's been about every other week uh, during the off season, but uh, we really love doing that, and we'd love anyone that's listening to this to check that out.
2: Also, awesome, my friend, you can find him on Twitter at MPRichards1981. Give him a follow for all the prospect stuff. My friend, thank you so much for hanging, doing the drafts, and good luck in that main event this year. We'll talk soon. Thanks, man. appreciate it. There you go. There's Michael Richards from Triple Play. Go and check him out today on that Twitter handle. Check out all his work. Next up, my friend Matt Eddy from Baseball America. Matt and the whole crew do a fantastic job. We're also going to take a look impromptu because the episode already been recorded. Uh, We're going to impromptu take a look, and I'm a little bit messy in it because I hadn't planned it and I got to pull up all these sheets, but taking a look at some of his previous picks, which has a pretty good track record. I think you're going to dig. So we're going to be talking about League Two, his picks. His breakout, guys, and maybe even some trends over the last couple of drafts that he's done that you might want to take a look at. So, Baseball America's Matt Eddy right after this. Prospect One.
0: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up
2: now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. He is Matt Eddy. You can find him on Twitter at Matt B A executive editor, oh, editor over at Baseball America. One of my good friends who's always talking fantasy over in the big Baseball America world and taking part in these drafts with me. Mr. Matt Eddy, how are you doing, my friend?
0: Uh, doing very good, Chris. Thanks for having me back. I think this is my third or fourth. Oh, easy. Yeah, easy. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Back
2: uh, on the podcast or the the draft? I think you've done three or four of the P180Ps. Yeah, you've been on the podcast, I think, a little bit more than that, I hope so.
0: Yeah. And the mock, I think it's my third or fourth mock.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's been good. So it's been a fun exercise. You know, you and I, I, I still hadn't had a chance to do it. You asked me offline something that was, I really liked your take on it. And I've actually never had someone ask me this and I've, I've still got to get this for you was you had messaged me and said, you know, oh, you know, do you have the past ones? And if people don't know on, on my Patreon sheet, I've got the 2022 and 2021 mock drafts that are posted up there. Um, so you could see all of them, but you wanted to see it in a way to kind of like judge how you've been doing you wanted to see your past track record how do you think how would you break that down if you were looking at it, like what would be the things you're looking for? Like, is there a success rate? Is there a hit rate? Is it just about the guys kind of performing or moving up that would have made you feel like, oh, okay, I'm doing a pretty good job at this.
0: Yeah, I think I think I screwed up my first one and I wanted to see if I learned from those mistakes. I think I've tried to, to simplify in the, in the draft since then and just kind of go more for the hitting upside and, and not get too cute with the picks.
2: You know, that's very funny that you say that because I feel like in the very, very first ones we ever did, there was kind of a acuteness factor If you will, there is a cuteness factor to it where sometimes there's like this um, weird space that these start to fall in where it's like, is this between, you know, wanting to make sure you get the coolest uptrending guy? Do you want to not let somebody fall? You know, whatever it is, there's a million ways through it. I'm actually trying to look here. Uh, I was not prepared. I randomly brought this up, so I was not prepared enough to do this for you. Okay, so I think you're going to like this. Your first two picks... Now, this I want everyone to know the order might be a little bit screwed up in how I'm doing this because it's going by ADP and these might be swapped. So I'm going to do these in pairs of two because I think this is going to give me the best opportunity. And I think you're going to be pretty happy with this when I uh, I go through this. So this is the 2022. I don't think... We had the breakdown of the names in 2021, or at least I wasn't able to find it on the fly. I'm also going to break some news here. You have, let me take a look. I think you have two, yeah, you have two players that you took last year that you retook this year. So there's an (laughs) interesting uh, case study. And let's actually focus on that real quick. The two players that you took last year that are going into this year. And I think this is, if I'm going into Lee, let's see. This is again this is all horrible, horrible uh radio here. I'm even gonna look back because that was League 7, which was I think the later round one. And let me see if I have okay, so I've got two. I've actually got I think two drafts for you here. So let's Ooh. start with the latest one. So this would have probably been the let's see, fall to fi- sorry, I'm live again, I'm live doing all of this. Yeah, we
0: can, we'll just fix this in post. No big deal.
2: Yeah, exactly as i'm looking is this right okay so at least in the fall when you did two drafts so we'll do the two ones and this would have been the very first one that you did and d d d d d fall 2000 so i think this actually might have been the 2001 august going into the february of 2022 so bear with me here the fall one which is not the one I was talking about. Here were your players. This is wild. O'Neill Cruz and Jordan Walker were your first two. I remember that. Yep. That's probably going to feel pretty good. And uh, that actually makes another third player that you've taken in here. Um, you took, it looks like you took O'Neill Cruz maybe first on this one. Mm-hmm. And then That's Jordan correct. Walker. Then your next two picks, you took Gabriel Moreno, Brady House. And again, remember this might not be full on. So these were the players you took. Um, the fifth player you took, Michael Harris, That's a pretty Mm -hmm. good hit you had. You also took Brett Beatty, Joey Weimer, Mark Vientos, uh, Ellie De La Cruz, Matt Brash, uh, Evan Carter, Colson Montgomery, Gavin Williams, Reese Hine, and Austin Hendricks. So those were your players when I'm looking through these. Again, it's a little bit wonked for all these drafts that I have. Um, that was one of your drafts. And now that I'm looking at this, I can't actually tell which one this was. I'm going to go back to seven and see if that was any different. That was one of them then followed by, you know, the other ones I'm seeing here. And again, you may have just followed the exact same path. You took O'Neill Cruz, Tristan. And This is, I think now I think this is the February one, which is about six weeks, uh, or six, four or five months later, you took O'Neill Cruz again, Tristan Casas. You took Brady House, Michael Harris, Brett Beatty. I see Gunnar Henderson you took in the 60s. Ellie De La Cruz again in the 80s. And then you got that trio in the hundreds of like Diego Cartaya, Evan Carter, Colson Montgomery. Dare I say, Matt Eddy, you might have been, you might have had some of the biggest hit rates of any of them comparing at least the August or November 2021 and February of 2022 drafts. Looking back on those, those are pretty good, my friend.
0: Yeah, it's it's good to to get the uh, validation on Michael Harris because he was not a consensus guy, and I really liked him.
2: Yeah, I mean that's a again that's a pretty and very washed way that I did that. Apologies to everybody. I literally did that on the fly to kind of take a look. What actually threw me off was in the two drafts you competed in because if if everyone remembers the reason Matt shows up twice in the two thousand twenty two ADP is because I do two or three of these and he took part in them. Was you had a lot of the same players? You kind of doubled down on taking. You know Colson Montgomery, O'Neal Cruz, you took both times. I think you took Michael Harris both times. You really took your guys. And what's funny enough is when we're going to take a look at this draft, there are a couple of those names, again, that you dove into. So your track record really speaks for itself on a decent amount of those hits, and you're going to kind of jump back into a couple of those guys that are ready to maybe jump in here. So when we jump in, the very first pick is a guy that you took in one of the ones, I think it was the two, late 2021 one, was Jordan Walker. And you took Jordan Walker in this one. And I again, I can't tell exactly where you took him in this draft. I'd have to pull back over here. But that was your first overall pick. We've talked a little bit about him. So I would just be curious. Uh, It looks like you took him five. So you actually were in the five spot. You got a discount on Jordan Walker, which was tied for with Michael Richards, who we had on. And that is tied for the second best discount or the best discount that you guys both got. So um we, I, we've kind of thrown around I've even done it and there's loose ways we've done it Matt of talking about how like there might be similarities in Jordan Walker's path that feels very Julio Rodriguez ish you know big guy steals bases could get in the outfield could even break camp with a team none of it's unheard of really really good talent but what do you think what do you think on Jordan Walker and the commitment that you've had for almost like three years now yeah you know
0: with Walker you're I'm buying the, the the power. I mean, that's going to be a, an absolute in the major leagues. You know, the bat speed. And, you know, him moving to the outfield is actually, I don't want to say an advantage, but it seems like in the major leagues, we're in a bit of a recessive period for outfield production. So I like that aspect of the pick as well. I think there's a very high floor with a chance for elite ceiling.
2: What do you think of that? Because uh, I, I, I feel like, and this is just me, um, you know, projecting here. I feel like I loosely use the Julio stuff to kind of give people a vibe of it. You shouldn't take it verbatim. I think there's some people that are using the Julio comp a little stronger. But what do you think about that in general? If you were comping Jordan Walker to Julio Rodriguez in their style of play and even the path that's going on, where do you think the similarities and the dis uh the dissimilarities are?
0: I think Walker will be like a tier lower. I don't know that he has quite that transcendent attributes that Julio Rodriguez has. I mean, people, scouts have been talking about like the it factor that Rodriguez has had since he's 19. And there's just like, you know, teammates gravitate toward him and stuff. And I think he's he's the real deal, franchise player. I think Walker's like a, a probably a little tier behind that.
2: Okay, and do you think statistically they're in the same general vicinity? I mean, the stolen bases were pretty high for Jordan Walker, which is a shock, I think, for a lot of people last year, especially to his size, which is similar to Julio Rodriguez. Do you think statistically, in your mind, that they are in a general vicinity of each other? I think the power production will be.
0: I, I, I would expect Rodriguez to be a little better hit hit and on base wise, but not not to the point where it uh, it'll be dramatic. But Power-wise, for sure.
2: In the second round, so we're focusing on the first two picks, you took Jackson Holiday. And I believe, when I'm looking at here, uh, Jackson Holiday was a pretty popular industry pick. There were three of the five of you from the industry guys uh, took Jackson Holiday. James Anderson, Frank Stamfel, yourself. Uh, the highest picks came from uh, listeners, though I definitely one of them is a hardcore dynasty player that we play with our boy Dan Fu. Uh, He took him at 13. That was the highest cost. The lowest cost was Frank Stamfel at 21. You were kind of right there. His ADP ended up being inside the top 20 for everybody. So you got him at kind of a deal. So your thoughts uh, and the move to jump on Jackson holiday inside the top 20 or right at 20 actually for you.
0: Yeah, really impressive tools, really impressive makeup, really impressive pro debut. Um, Lots of signs indicating good things for him. I would expect him to have a very easy transition to class a and be kind of in the picture in three, three to four seasons. Yeah.
2: What's your like value or rank across the other first year player guys uh, compared to Drew Jones, Jackson holiday, I think is becoming a little bit more industry standard. Number two, I really like Tamar and Elijah green though. I think they're all kind of this clump. Do you believe that they're a clump or do you think Jackson holiday is maybe moving into a tier with Drew Jones or maybe he's even higher to you? I don't know where you value him as far as first year player goes.
0: Yeah, they would be neck and neck for me at the top. Um, I generally prefer infielders, you know, because they, especially shortstops, they tend to be more athletic and tend to be able to make adjustments in ball a little easier. That's a blanket statement, but <laughs> for that reason, I, if it's close, I do tend to, to prefer the outfielders. So I might have Holiday a hair ahead, but they're both at the same tier.
2: Do you ever feel any risk of like, you know, the assumption on this is like, hey, this is like a startup fresh dynasty that you invest in. We're not going to say a guy that doesn't have any experience. He has a little bit of experience in pro ball after being drafted. Are you ever a little bit apprehensive of spending that high of a pick on someone without a big track record and who's also really far away? Because I think that's that's the ultimate decision people have with learning about these guys that have less than, you know. you know, 50 games played at pro ball. Like the investment and in going inside the top 25, I think is really tough for a lot of people. It didn't seem yeah. tough for you here, but is there any apprehension
0: with Holiday? No. Uh, the same would be true for Jones. I think the amateur reports are just so good. Like the, the makeup is so strong. I I, I understand that you're, you're taking a bit of a risk, but I think the upside will will more than mitigate that risk.
2: So in the third and fourth round, you jumped in and you kind of took. I don't want to call them proximity picks because then that also might sound like we're devaluing them in general. I feel like we have talked about Royce Lewis and we may have talked about Brett Beatty as well. Brett Beatty is someone that you had invested in, in previous drafts. Uh, any quick hits just on Royce or Brett Beatty, and then we're going to move on to the next two guys, which are going to be fun, but any quick hits on uh, Royce Lewis and then Brett Beatty. Yeah. With, with
0: Beatty, I think it's, he's a high probability 50 player in the major leagues. You're kind of buying the the production there, but the upside is probably not as exciting as some other players are capable of but i do like his his major league potential uh lewis the, the tidbit that's interesting to me there is number one he's cleaned up his swing and his and his hit tool is now more highly regarded post his his first knee injury um so i do feel good about him delivering on his hitting potential and i thought it was interesting that um uh ba uh editor in chief jj cooper found that in the nfl there was no no uh, negative long-term effects for having reconstructive knee surgery twice in a player's career so that gave me a little bit of confidence in him recovering 100 from the second acl tear
2: yeah royce is one of those tough guys because he's really really tooled up he's made some really big progressions if you kind of follow like he was kind of one of those questioned first overall pick players and then you know, he, if I remember correctly, he dominated in like the very, very lower levels when he first came up. But then there were some mm-hmm. major adjustments that had to happen. And then he started suffering injuries. And then it's kind of been like a three year whirlwind of just injuries and bad season and more injuries and injuries on top of injuries. That it's like you feel like this guy's already lived three lifetimes and he hasn't even yeah. lived one in the major leagues right now. So the value is, I think, tough to kind of balance for a lot of people. Now, the reason I wanted to focus on these real quick. Picks five and six were players that you took in both of your other drafts. You have affirmatively locked these two players as your guys. And I'm talking about Colson Montgomery and Diego Cartaya. Now you got them both at cheaper costs. They are sliding up a little bit. And let me take a look here. I'm going to give you guys some ADP here. Colson Montgomery ended up being just outside the top 50. And as did Diego Cartaya. When we take a look at this, Matt, you were the only industry guy to jump on Colson Montgomery. Yet you got him at the second best value. The funny thing about him, though, three or I'm sorry, four of the five picks, he was literally within two spots of of all of you in the 50s, and then one was in the 70s. So that's the one that ended up pushing him back. Where there was one league that didn't really value him on Diego Cartaya, it was you and Scott White. Which were the ones that made that investment, and he had a high of forty three and a low of seventy one, and you were almost the low there as well. So these are two guys that you've really made commitments on doing these drafts over the last year and a half or so that you've been involved in, at least the last couple that we can track. So you know, what's what what gets you so jacked up about these two guys, and you kind of are following their trend up?
0: Yeah, uh, Montgomery is. Um... You know, he had some Corey Seager comps out of the draft. You know, power and patience, bigger shortstop. Some risk of moving off the position. Not fast, but you know, he's he's a he's a high on base hitter with developing power. And what put it over the top for me was talking to a scout this year who had a seven overall on him future value. So there is there is a really really high ceiling to attain here. He's done nothing. I mean, he dominated Class A, stumbled in two weeks of Double A, but that's to be expected at his age. He's you know nineteen twenty. So a high degree of confidence in him hitting in the major leagues and probably staying a shortstop.
2: And then um, Diego
0: and Cartaya. I'm, I'm just buying the power. I, there is a lot of defensive risk there. I think he'll have power at the 65 to 70 grade level to overcome a move to first base DH, whatever it may be. It's, it's confidence in the bat there.
2: I wonder if they'll ever do. Cause I, um, unless I'm misremembering, which I'm almost a hundred percent positive. I'm not when he was out here in complex, that I I, if I remember correctly, I do remember they played him some in the outfield and there might have been some DHing. I definitely know there's some DHing, but I feel like I saw him out here in the outfield specifically at a game that I went to at Camelback Ranch. And I wonder if that's going to be the move. But I think that's what I think actually think that's kind of what holds a lot of people up about Diego Mm Cartaya is this like he's a catcher and the catcher valuation is holding back. And what's funny about that is that something that this year is what's not holding Indy Rodriguez back. People are like, oh, whatever. Right. Like, he, you know, he, he might not even be a catcher because the body can't stay. But Diego Cartaya doesn't really seem like the type of guy that the Dodgers are going to, A, progress as a catcher. You've already got Will Smith in the organization. But B, I'm also not sure defensively, like you kind of mentioned, he can. And the body's getting a little bit bigger. So, you know, maybe this year, we're going to start, start seeing him experiment with moving a little bit further into different spots. And if he continues to hit, Relatively successfully, I kind of wonder what that's going to ultimately do with his value. If I, Indy is a little bit of a different situation with kind of just the like absolutely dominant numbers, but Cartaya did hit 22 homers last year. uh He hit only 254, but if you see that average bump up to like, let's say, 275 or 280 or something like that, and he pushes 25 homers, there's probably a guy we're talking about in similar Indy Rodriguez territory, don't you think?
0: Yeah, that swing and a miss is, is a good point. That is the big risk with Cartaya. Um, you know, I might give the edge to Andy regardless just because he's, he's a better athlete, but yeah, um, better hit but, tool, and, like
2: better content, yeah. Hit tool anyways, I think, I think with, Car- with Cartaya, like if
0: you look at him in relation to Alvarez, where he went in the draft, Francisco Alvarez, I think there's a lot of value because there's a lot of overlap in their abilities,
2: yeah. So moving into the next couple picks, um, I, I know, again, this is not one I'm trying to be dismissive of Bobby Miller. Um, you know, if you have any thoughts on Bobby, well, real quick, do you have any thoughts on Bobby Miller? You did take him this his ADP actually did surprise me a little bit. If I'm being honest, he was inside the top 70. I don't think I realized that he had a high of 56 and a low of 82. That's actually not that bad. And he went to two of the industry guys, including yourself in here. So any quick thoughts on uh, Bobby Miller? <clears throat>
0: Yeah, uh, throws hard, three plus or better pitches at his best, throws a reasonable amount of strikes, has field for spin. Um, his his FIP was much better than his ERA. You know, you didn't want to put too much stock in in minor league ERA with, you know, minor league fielders and minor league umpires and minor league field conditions, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm very bullish on Bobby Miller figuring things out.
2: So this is one I think is really interesting. Jet Williams. So you took Jet Williams with your eighth pick in this draft. And why this is interesting is, A, actually, you were not the highest. You were one of three industry guys that took him. You, James, and Jeff Ponce. It's a pretty good crew. Jeff uh, made the highest um, push on him. But this is one of those guys, just for perspective, so Bobby Miller was in the 60s of ADP. That was your seventh-round pick. Your eighth-round pick was Jet Williams, who had an ADP outside the top 100. And I know James is a big guy on him, but James got one of the lower values overall, but two Baseball America guys, you and Jeff, were the ones that took were the only ones to take him inside the top 100. A little mm-hmm. bit of a smaller frame, interesting mm-hmm. hit tool. A lot of people talk about the progression of the power. I think that's to be seen. But you tell me, you tell me what uh, made the push on Jet Williams. You and Jeff definitely kind of set the standard on maybe where Jeff needs to be compared to what he ended up being.
0: Yeah, I can see why he's divisive. I think with me, it might have been over familiarity, just from having ranked the Mets' top prospects. Um, but I know internally, they're very high on them, as you'd, as you'd expect them to be. But, you know, even on the showcase and, and the spring um, scouting circuit, he was very well regarded by scouts. They loved him. High energy player, great swing, great, great hit tool, great run tool. You know, as you're saying, the power is yet to be determined. And also, he's probably a second baseman when all said and done. So there are, there are some dings potentially there. But I love the, the foundation.
2: So, all right. Moving forward, you took two. Uh, again, these are kind of like proximity picks. Guys that made some major league debuts: Will Brennan and Luis Ortiz. Will Brennan had a quietly awesome season. Uh, I'm trying to remember who has said it. Maybe multiple people have said it. Almost there's a Stephen Kwan niche to him. Kwan might be a little bit more. Uh, stolen bases and a little bit more patient, but Brennan might have a little mm-hmm. bit more pop in the bat. And Luis Ortiz, who really one of the big things, didn't have a spectacular minor league season um, overall. Let me actually pull up because if I remember, it was like a high threes ERA before he mm-hmm. got the call up. I'll give you guys official numbers here. Yeah, it was, duh, duh, duh. no, it was a four, five, six ERA in 25 starts in the minors. Did have a one, one, four whip. 124 innings, and this was across two levels. This was a ball, and I'm sorry, double A AA and triple A. Obviously, the majority of it was in double A, where he kind of got beat up a little bit. 464 ERA, if we're just taking a look at it. Um, walks are not horrific, home run totals are not insane. He simmered it down in two starts in triple A, gets to the majors, and performs better. But the biggest Thing about him, he said a four or five ERA in four starts. So is, is that everybody holds on to is he's got really great stuff. Plus numbers, according to Eno. So I'm just curious about your take on both these guys. Maybe we'll start with Luis Ortiz, since I did that whole thing on him. Not prolific minor league numbers, not prolific mm-hmm. minor league career. Comes up to the majors, shows good stuff, kind of gets pubbed there. But where does that take him?
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I think he started slowly and kind of worked up to to the the finished product he became by the end of the year, but it's outstanding fastball, outstanding slider. Uh, yes, you'd like to see the third pitch come up to, to lock in that rotation ability in the major leagues, but at his best in MLB, pitch attributes were elite. You know, velocity-wise, zone-miss-wise, chase-wise, you look at his best stuff, and he's, he stacks up with elite starting pitchers.
2: But the question is, will he be a starting pitcher? I mean, you said there's two elite pitches in there. Some guys can make it, Spencer Strider can make it work, but can Mm -hmm. Luis Ortiz make that work or is this ultimately going to be somebody that is going to be utilized in more of a relief role? I think that is the major question we have to look at. And because I don't believe he is locked into a rotation spot, at least according to roster resource early on with the pirates, especially when you bring on Rich Hill. So yeah,
0: not to start the year. I think in in talking with our pirates guy who who wrote the top 30 prospects, the, the pirates are very bought in on Ortiz being a starter and being the best prospect starter in the organization right now. So That gave me a lot of confidence to draft Ortiz where I did.
2: Well, I mean, that would be a big thing. Like there's a lot of people I don't particularly, but there's a lot of people that really loved Quinn Priester. Uh, That did not change for me after seeing him in the AFL. I didn't If anything. I actually think Quinn Priester looked a little bit more reliefish than anything because he could pull off Mm -hmm. like a good inning or two, but then he fell apart once he got to four. So if anything, I'm more convinced he might be uh, ultimately put into that or just not a plus five inning starter but Luis Ortiz great stuff does not take away you answered the question that a lot of people are probably going to want to know it's not a pitcher rich organization it's not going to take a whole bunch to be the number one guy but if you know if if you're hearing and you believe he can be a starting pitcher the investment probably well worth it and probably going to come at a decent discount because Luis Ortiz had a outside the top 120 p and a fun fact he went to three of five industry people here Shelly V <laughs> Scott Green and yourself so something for people to uh, take a look at oh uh, Will Brennan any little additions you want to have on Will Brennan as well
0: yeah really good hitter uh, good major league debut led the minors in hits last year had 40 doubles hoping some of those turn into home runs but just a solid foundation player.
2: So, one player that I know a lot of people are kind of like enamored with talking about, he actually had an ADP next to Jet Williams, and you took him two rounds later. They had their ADP ended up being literally next to each other in Colt Keith. Colt Keith, who you got, um, he's got an interesting path here, man. Three of the five are industry. You got him at the second lowest value. Check this out. The lowest value was Michael Richards on this episode, who got him at 140, and the most expensive value was Shelly V, who got him at 73. So that is an almost double difference from essentially a 70 to 140 difference on him, and you got him not really in between; you still got him on the latter half of it. So I think a lot of people want to know, like, how real is Colt Keith? And, I, and I've mentioned, you know, I, I he played a piss poor third base out here he's got a really fun contact hit tool that's got pretty decent raw power it feels very 250 25 at the majors type of player my problem Mm -hmm. with him is i don't think he can play third and i don't think he has the pop to play first so he ultimately lives in this like got a dh and maybe play multiple roles maybe he gets better defensively at third base but he almost sits in this like no man's land where the bat isn't quite good enough to DH and the defense isn't quite enough to push anybody off, which you kind of really hate to see that, but maybe over time that fixes. But what say you about uh, Colt Keith? Yeah, I, th- I don't think that's unfair. I think what well, I would say uh, second division teams need, need regular first baseman too. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's a good point. I mean, they do have, I mean, but see, that's the thing. It's like, I don't think He's the type of guy to push Torkelson to play third base, so they can get Colt Keith to play third. You know, right. you'd ra- almost rather <clears throat> get like Torkelson to develop at first base overall, and then you hopefully, you hope Colt Keith isn't, you know, putting an error a game on the board. That type of stuff. But yeah. what do you think about the hit tool?
0: Yeah, I think you're about right. I think I think two fifty, two sixty is probably about right, but with a high on base percentage for those who play in those leagues. And I think one important thing to keep in mind is that Tigers affiliates had the the lowest run environment in the minors and, and keith in particular having played at, at lakeland and west michigan are two of the, the better better pitcher parks in the minor leagues i think that's something to keep in mind when you're projecting his power out going forward
2: so yeah, well, I know for that I... reason yeah yeah sorry go ahead no go ahead.
0: and that's just something to keep in mind like the teams that are kind of based in the east upper midwest and, and florida there's just not as many runs scored
2: and also he missed a lot of time last year. This, I, yes. I actually talked to, and I like Colt Keith by, by saying that for everybody, like I'm a fan of Colt Keith. I thought he was one of the guys that was going to absolutely thrive coming to the AFL. And what I do think he did was he reestablished his stock. Cause I don't think he was a big radar guy. Cause he missed a lot of time. He only had, he had under 200 bats. He had the entire year last year, but he hit over 300. He had nine homers in less time than that came under the AFL. And he, and again, he hit. Pretty Well, the contact could go higher. He's got raw power. And one of the best examples of that raw power is go and look at my video uh, from the last day of the AFL where he just crushed an opposite field home run. And that's also just the great feel for hitting. So I really like him. I just don't know if any of the tools push anybody off. But hey, you know, back into the year, they want to see what they get out of him. Maybe the defense improves and you know, and I'm cherry picking. A handful of games I saw, lots of bad throws and a couple errors and stuff like that. It just wasn't great third base compared. Where a guy like, I just throw this out, Xavier Warren with the Brewers, who's like a catcher, told me that their team didn't have a first baseman. So he said, I'll play. He came out and played. It looked like gold glove at every position he played. He played third. He played second. He played first. He played catcher. He did it. And every single position, I saw him make a, not catcher, but I saw him make a play at every other spot. Just swimmingly. And you just didn't see that with guys like Colt Keith. So that's just like a weird, you know, random example. But the bat is there with Colt Keith and it makes it interesting. And he got him at a pretty good value. And I think that's where the decisiveness is, is like he's somewhere between one and maybe 125 for people overall with some room mm-hmm. to grow. Uh, your next your next pick is actually one I really want to hear your take on. This is someone that I'm pushing, is Dalton Rushing, uh, with the Dodgers, who had a really phenomenal uh back end of the uh of the season, which he didn't, you know, he, he was one of the few guys that got to play uh, significant at bats and innings coming off of the draft. 22 year old uh, with the Los Angeles Dodgers. I moved him up pretty big, hit 400 in 104 at bats, but eight homers with the Dodgers. And I believe a majority, let me take a look here. I think most of them were, yeah, they were all, Never mind. I was about to say, I thought a few were in the complex league, but he only played two games in complex. He had eight homers in the Cal League, which is a Cal League, but in an A ball, uh, dominant, dominant batting average, had as many walks as strikeouts, which is one of the best things to love about him. High OBP guy, but it's a very small sample size. I thought you got him at a really good cost. So what do you think on Dalton rushing?
0: Yeah, everything you said, the Dodgers strike again, you know, getting a a first round talent at number 40 overall in the draft. But yeah, you're you're looking at uh, major power on contact, uh, a good chase rate, just all the attributes you want to see as a hitter. And and, and then the, the production on top of that. So I think it's a major up arrow on rushing. We'll be talking about him as an easy top 100 next year.
2: Yeah, I I agree with that too. Do you think he's also maybe one of the more like unheralded first year player guys? I didn't do the math here on where he ended up going as far as the ADP going compared to his uh, contemporaries in the first year player, but he went outside the top 130 for people Mm. but but near Jace Young to give people perspective. I'm trying to do a quick glance here of the first year player guys like you know, get in your mind where Jace Young is and then know that like Jet Williams, Drew Gilbert, Spencer Jones went ahead, Chase DeLotter, those guys all hmm. went ahead. But Dalton Rushing was the literally the pick next to Jace Young. So roughly 15, let's call it. Let's call him somewhere between 18 and 15 and first year player. Do you think that sounds right? Uh yeah. Oh yeah. I think or know, deal. The, or you think he should be higher? Yeah. you said eight to fifteen? Uh no, I said uh uh four like fifteen to eighteen, somewhere in oh. that range of first year player. That's where he went out and he probably that I'm guesstimating it here because he went after Joe Gilbert and them. So I think that maybe yeah. even twelve, like twelve to sixteen. Let's call it twelve to sixteen. Do you think that's right, w- or he should be? Yeah, I was just going to
0: say. I, w- I was just going to say I would probably start thinking about him around ten to twelve in in one of these drafts. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, and seeing where the contact really builds and if the power continues to develop, it was a great debut. Uh, really has a big power swing. Kind of looks like a dynamic bat. This is a guy to get excited about and probably can stay at catcher. You know, we'll see Diego Cartaya, Dalton rushing. They just, you know, they know how to build them. They know how to bring, how to develop the bat. Your last three picks I'm going to put all together all seem in my mind uh, values compared to these drafts. Samuel Zavala, Cole Young with the Mariners and Jace Young was your last pick. So just think about that for everybody. All really good values here. I thought you did a really good job of these picks, but you don't have to break every single one down. So if there's one that stands out of those three between Zavala, Young, and Young, what do you got?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, Zavala just has outstanding hitting attributes and is starting to build some scouting buzz. Uh, So I would expect him to take a pretty big step forward next year into the top 100 range. I don't want to say he's a, a lock to get into the 100, but I think he'll be in the conversation if he's not already and um the two the two youngs at the end were just outstanding values uh from the draft the 2022 draft i thought most of the best values in these mocks were on the most recently drafted players because there's just that information gap
2: yeah and uh, i mean i guess I've, i don't want to like reiterate what i've been talking about but it's like that's not been the case in prior years those guys go higher but there is a gap um and again sorry for everyone that's heard this me say this like three times now but there is a clear gap between People who rank first year player in their top whatever and a gap between how they go and they are not the same. So just everybody remember that even if it's me or your favorite rank or whoever it is, whatever we rank them, that does not seem to be where they go in drafts. There isn't like you said, there's an information gap unless your name is Drew Jones or Jackson Holiday. Those are the only two that are really getting the benefit parada is moving and i think everyone's sitting on his uh hit tool Tamar, no one is getting excited about because of like some stupid games and complex but even when he moved up he was hitting really well one of the best hit tools out there i mean just go listen to carlos Colazo for five minutes and you're gonna like run through a wall for Tamar johnson so like mm-hmm. i think all of these guys besides the top two their draft value does not equate their rank value and there are some advantages you can take out of all those players jace young power doesn't don't know if he's going to be there might not be the best fantasy player we'll see how that develops Uh, i'm sorry cole young uh Mm -hmm. jace young is interesting because i felt like he had a lot of pre-draft value and then once he went i feel like he's one of the weird guys who's just everyone's cooling on they're not associating anything with his brother are you hearing anything good out on jace young
0: yeah with young he was one of the few players to to spend a lot of time at high a out of the draft so i think that kind of took a bite out of his surface production and you know, it it is fair to to question how much power ultimately he's going to have, but I think the, I think the hitting foundation is strong enough where you know taking him one fifty or whatever the pick was for me is is going to work out to be a good value.
2: Okay, so when you look at your draft, your favorite mm-hmm. and your least favorite pick, give me them. Uh, it could be well, based on value. You, I mean, if you want to say Jordan Walker, you could say Jordan Walker, whatever you got. But your favorite pick and your least favorite pick.
0: Least favorite was Colt Keith. I think you outlined the reason why that that might have been the my most desperate pick where i didn't have a good fit for that slot when when the draft was uh, in progress um i'll probably cop out and say that the the last run of four players rushing zavala cole young chase young i felt really good about where those players uh where i was able to select those players relative to their projected value
2: yeah and i'm looking rushing you got at 140 his adp was higher zavala You got at 149, which was tied. You and Michael Richards both got him at the biggest value. His ADP was higher. Cole Young, he actually only went in three of the five drafts, but two were industry. You and Jesse Roach took him. You got him just a little bit higher than what his ADP was. And then Jace Young... You got the best value of any drafter. And again, you and Scott White both took him. So there's two industry players, but you got the hands down best value. Funny enough, Scott White took him inside the top 100. So 95 mm-hmm. to 173 was the the high and low of Jay Shung. Very interesting draft. Very good stuff. On someone that has a very good track record, which I painstakingly worked through at the beginning <laughs> of the uh, the talk here, that you got a pretty good track record of the players and you definitely have doubled down on some of them. So maybe people need to pay more attention to Colson Montgomery and Diego Cartaya, who've been on that list a little bit. Mr. Matt Eddy, what do you got going on? What's up with uh what's up with BA right now? I know we talked me and Jeff talked about it a couple episodes back, but it's been a couple weeks. So what's going down in BA?
0: Yeah, we're we're at the tail end of a of much needed break coming out of the prospect handbook uh publishing or uh, sending to the printer. Now we're gearing up for the 2023 season, which begins with the college preview and continues on to the top 100 and away we go
2: all right beautiful we got uh fantasy plans for the new year. you guys definitely dove in uh, thanks to you over the last little bit you dove into a little bit more fantasy over at ba i know jeff talked about maybe trying to dive back into getting that big old dynasty list anything to maybe tease or are we just going to at least get some of the same good fantasy content that you've been helping implement
0: yeah uh jeff and i are going to be digging into that starting you know this week and um We'll definitely have the uh, our our version of the, the first-year player draft ranking. That'll be available this month as well.
2: Okay, cool. We'll check it out. Matt Eddy, BA is the Twitter follow. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time for not only drafting in the mocks, but uh, doing a little chat with me. Thanks, my friend.
0: Yeah, thanks, Chris. I always enjoy this.
2: And there you go. That is the episode. Thank you so much to both of those fine gentlemen for not only taking a part in the drafts, but coming and joining me, and thanks to everybody that uh, took a little bit of time out to talk about these drafts. I think it's fun to go back and look. We get a conversation around a lot of different prospects. This type of year, time of year, could sometimes be a little bit difficult to finding the theme about how to get lots of prospects in and outside of being like, so who do you like and who do you dislike? Well, it's like, then eh, these are the guys. These are the actual drafted players. Uh, the Prospect 180P is available. It's always gonna be on my top 500 sheet every month. We switch that bad boy out. I do updates. And I hope to do, you know, I really don't, to be honest, I'm not sure how this round is going to go, um, the next round. You know, I, I hate to make them too soon. We did finish them off in December, so a March one seems very likely. I'd like to get one before the season starts, and, uh, you know, maybe mid-March, whenever I can get everybody rounded up, and then we'll see from everywhere else, you know, maybe do a mid-season update, uh, a post-season one. I mean, getting three or four drafts, it's, it's asking a lot of everybody, but most of the guys seem to like to draft. and. You can have the potential to jump into these drafts if you're a part of our Patreon. So I hope you come and check it out at inthisleague.com. That is where I fill the drafts from. We have a prospect one group me room. I post it in there, and that is how you can join in. Uh, they do fill. We've had some years where it takes a tiny bit. So it's not like, you know, you got to be in there and you got to instantly click. No, maybe like the first couple that I drop. But at the end of the day, there's, you know, there's time for it. Uh, but the more people we have and the more excitement, Usually, the more drafts I do, and the more unique things I end up doing, and we will be doing that over, uh, you know, the next couple of months as we're starting the season. We're going to talk about first-year player ranks. We're going to be answering questions. We're going to have more guests. We'll do some more roundtable episodes. Spring training will start up. I'll be giving you guys any of the nuggets that I have going out to the backfields and the camps, trying to like you know, grab a player or something like that. So it should be really fun. We should get a lot of good information. And I hope to share it all with you. And I hope you guys hang with me for all of 2023. It's a brand new year. Uh, You got a lot of different podcast stuff out there. Hopefully we make this podcast unique. We do different stuff, have different conversations, and it is strictly around uh, fantasy prospects. You know, prospects with real conversations that end up being tied back to the fantasy implications. That's what it's all about. And like I said before, we will probably be turning to first-year player and J15 stuff over the next couple weeks. I know some of you guys have already done first-year player Some will be coming up pretty soon. So I think that will probably dominate at least the next couple conversations. Strict first-year player in J15 as that is about to go down. You know, like it already went down a couple years ago when these guys made deals or whatever. And friends, want to remind you that this episode is sponsored in part by SIDS Graphs. Go and check them out today. As the SIDS Graphs team is always working, doing unique signings as a matter of fact. They're getting set to do a nice one off with Wanya Pez with the St. Louis Cardinals. How cool is that going to be? With more coming up later this month, I believe Kyle Manzardo is happening and a few others that I'm completely forgetting. But SizzGrafts has an awesome clientele from Corbin Carroll to Michael Harris to Kyle Manzardo to Jackson Merrill and more, where you can get unique stuff done, not just cards, not just baseballs, but bats, game use cleats, gloves. You can get helmets jerseys, and a ton more. So go and check it out today. Sidsgraphs.com is the website. They have a Sidsgraphs uh, eBay page, and you can find them on social media at Sidsgraphs. Pretty easy. Go and check them out today. Friends, that is all that I have got for you. Hope you had a very safe and a good new year. Hopefully we can turn things around. I am trying to turn into a positive 2023 as best as I can, set some goals, do some of that type of stuff, and just rock it out, and we'll continue doing it here, right here, on Prospect One. You can find me on Twitter at IsItTheWelsh and you can find me right here on this podcast next week with you. Until then, have a great one, friends, and I'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.